0: producer trent here this episode is a horror special with mark gatis robin and josie's special guest uh, mark was our first morning show guest about five or six weeks ago whenever that was now uh, and because we're still going we thought we'd get mark back in to talk a bit more about horror and answer some more of the questions that you all sent in cosmicshambles.com stay at home is where you can go to drop a tip in the tip jar for acts and venues that are struggling uh, really struggling right now and if you'd like to support us patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go and do that get lots of goodies uh, for being a patreon supporter as well we've got an extra live stream coming up very soon that's just for patrons with some special guests so head over there do that listen to today's episode <laughs>
1: Good morning. Welcome to Shambles' stay at home Festival. Week six we weren't certain there'd be a week six there is a week six uh not really week six of this i mean literally we didn't know if there was going to be a week six at all um and uh we are joined again we'll, we'll we'll meet him shortly uh with our first guest of the stay at home festival uh mark gaitis so we're going to going to be talking about we're going through all of the there's about seven pages of questions you sent last time that we didn't get through and uh, so we're going to be going through that uh, i'll tell you a couple of things that are coming up which is tomorrow we've got dr carl on the show so if you have any science questions you'd like to ask him and uh good morning Josie
2: good morning the uh tones of my daughter crying and calling for mummy so it's a beautiful day here in East London how are
1: you this is a nice for you this is a break for your partner Johnny this is a constant reminder that you are the loved not him so there's a there's two very different things going on here
2: She's having a very big phase of that And it is absolutely punishing for him So basically anything he tries to do She's like no mummy do this How dare you <laughs> I Can't say oh. I'm enjoying it it is um,
1: so. I was gonna. I was gonna quickly. Mention, I was gonna. I was gonna quickly mention. We've got, uh, as people know who who regularly watch this, we have a tip jar at the bottom, and uh, what we're aiming to do is get as much money together as possible to work as a resource for people who work in the arts industries and for uh, art centres as well. A lot of, in fact, this is the week. I don't know if you've noticed it, Josie, It was last week that I've really noticed now as things start to fracture and crack. I think both human beings. I've noticed a lot more in the last week. People now watching their kind of their their uh messages on on social media that people feel a little bit fragmenting and i think also things like a lot of industries and a lot of areas people are going oh right this is going to be really hard to hold it together
2: I think this week I've found it personally really difficult this past week as well. And lots of friends have, I think it must be something to do with, you know, that length of time you're managing, you have a dip, you're managing, you think, okay, this is fine. Then suddenly it's like, you just open on this whole stark vista for miles and miles. And you're like, Oh, I thought I was at the seaside. <laughs> I've got years more of trekking. Um, yes, uh, we are donating to venues as well. There's a venue in Bradford that we're donating to that I love that helped us, um, a while back when we were doing um, silly uh, art tour uh, ad hoc happening gigs there. Um, And it's called the One in 12. And it's um, it's, the objectives on the Wikipedia page, uh, the original objectives of the club were to develop and spread the anarchist values of self-management, cooperation and mutual aid. Well, of course, everyone is part of a mutual aid group at the moment. So we're all anarchists now. So I think it's very important to um, donate to people that are going to be organising that a lot within their community. But it's a brilliant venue where, like, Grace Petrie's played and I've played...
1: You and i haven't so uh i don't want any of my well, what's going scam. on no i well well good this i'll make my little list of where it has to book me now due to a donation the whole thing <laughs> a payola scam uh we've also given this week again to uh the caution uh the pound art center which is a really beautiful art center where i've also played with grace Petri, and I've also played with grace petrie and uh laura from she makes war uh, amongst others and uh also the uh the Witham up in barnard castle some of you know barnard castle not far from durham there uh where barnard castle itself has an incredible collection of jewelry Eggs and uh, a mechanical swan. Mm. So, but none of the money is going to the mechanical swan, it's going to the art center down the road, just in case people are wondering.
2: So uh, I just I mechanical swans neglected at this difficult and critical time, I think.
1: Do you know what? They've always been the first victims. It has always been the clockwork <laughs> menagerie that has been the first to go in any of these kind of disasters. Um, I'm just thinking about starting off bleakly, because I've generally been reasonably kind of content and I've I've been enjoying doing the homework and stuff with my twelve year old and realising, you know, that's good. But I thought I don't start the day with the news. I, I start the day with something positive. So I was reading a Jane Goodall lecture this morning. Frankly, reading about the cannibalism of chimpanzee children has not set me off well on a Monday. Oh, you'd be better off reading the news. I think I was. It, it hit me hard. There was. It's. It's a lecture that she did in Edinburgh. And Jane Goodall, who is, is such a wonderful, in, in, incredible uh, communicator and campaigner, and the work she's done was so important. But as she. talks about the first time of witnessing two female chimpanzees going over to another one and then just grabbing the baby and then eating it yeah that was an error an error of monday reading that is very much thursday reading Thank
2: god you've passed it on to all of us (laughs) (laughs) God, god almighty wow what a way to start the day have you got a show and tell for us this morning? I brother? do, and it's nice, thank God. It's not just cobbled together. So yesterday, as we were, quite a difficult day. I was finding it very hard to sort of just weather weather the day. And I did some yoga at about half past four in this bedroom, uh, being one of the two rooms in the flat. And <laughs> um, I was sort of just trying to bring myself to a state of of a bit more calm and a bit more uh happiness oh my daughter's opened the door and anyway I was sitting on the mat and I re- sort of came into vision I wonder and I can't turn this around because there's only a camera on one side so let me know when it's there it should be on the picture can you see, yep,
1: yep, can see that
2: and um, so it's a picture by Mark Chagall um called the wedding hello baby boo hello. yes baby boo um it's a picture called the wedding by Mark Chagall, and I love him so much as a painter. I just get think up. he's a fantastic get up, get up but you' are going me daddy he's a fantastic um fantastic um, yeah. come sit with me. you have to just mute my face
1: this is very much what this is what the Sissy wendy Wendy Beckett shows really match <laughs> that's
2: that's the difference that's between the you and a nun. Wrong, um, but basically Mommy, um hes. Wrong. Mummy's headphones hasn't got the headphones on today, clever girl. Um I base um they're so full of love and so full of joy and colour and energy that I find them very heartening. And I find him as a as a as a painter, he's always about um like what it is to be sort of vigorous and excited and loving. But also, just from a very simple point of view, it's this picture of this blissful couple in love who've just got married. There's just a bloody big chicken next to them for no reason. (laughs) Just a bloody big chicken. That's
1: the great um, thing about 20th century art. That was... uh, um, Now, uh, the... uh, um, This is um, my show and tell. Well, one of them was, I was looking for, I've got got a load of T-shirts. I thought because Mark was on, the the things like the uh, Dr. Fibes Clockwork Band and stuff. They're they're, they're T-shirts as if you bought merchandise by going to see things like the jazz band in deep red. But the one that I'm wearing today is uh, Brotherhood of Sleep. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, So that's a John uh, Carpenter-based T-shirt. But while I was digging through, I found the tour T-shirt from last year's uh tour that i did with brian cox and the reason that i got this out was just thinking that this time last year as opposed to being in my attic right here are the tour dates this is how much of the world. I don't know if you can see that we were kind of covering at the time. So this time I would have just been about to leave to go to Raleigh in North Carolina and then Wilmington, Washington, Philadelphia, eventually finding myself in, in, in Singa- Singapore, ending up in uh, Reykjavik. And it just feels very weird now to think that I was preparing to go around the world. And now sometimes I prepare to go to the bin's. Just just a change. Um, Anyway, that's my show and tell. And we will now introduce our guest for today. Our first uh, return uh, guest, Uh, guest, Mark Gatiss. Gatiss. Hello,
3: Hello, Mark. How are you? Hello. I feel like I'm doing Desert Island Discs again. It's it's a sort of rare (laughs) honour after six weeks to return.
2: this is part of some show sure? where we're now going, so, Mark, show us what you've gone up to in the last six weeks. <laughs> well, well, it's
3: the same. <laughs> I've actually, I know,
2: I've
3: I've moved, I've actually, I know, I have, I've moved my office from upstairs to down here. So uh, the backdrop, the backdrop is different. Although I'm getting very jealous of these Zoom backgrounds everyone's using, which look like uh, early 70s Doctor Who, and I want to, some of them are fantastic. Now, bear with me, my, laptop doesn't support them so yes,
2: mine doesn't It's yeah, so
3: but, but if you try it what you get is a fantastic sort of solarized green death effect it's really <laughs> fant- really fringy and crude it's brilliant so i'm using that anyway just because it's more fun
1: <laughs> so have you um in terms of like moving around is is that that's not the basement room that used to be your victorian laboratory is it no that was in the old house old house oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> long ago yes Disappointing. Disappointing. no uh i paint I, I i used to paint in this room and now i moved it to my upstairs room and moved the office down it used to be my office it's all very confusing it's the sort of thing you do in lockdown isn't it we we started a massive tidy in sort out which is i would have to say like i'm sure like everybody else has has stalled <laughs> but also we've now got We've now got a room entirely full of black bags full of books that are going to go to charity shops when it's all over. But if you were to happen, if you to walk past the room, you would think it was a serial killer had been at work because it appears it's just huge black bags looking like they're full of body parts ready but to that's be disposed that, of. That that's maybe that's they not about this. If you, if
2: you yeah. want, to, yeah, you can't donate anything to charity at the moment that's sort of superfluous. So it's just pile stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing
3: else. It's, it's sort of the opposite of what it's because you're trying to have a sort out. All
1: you do is actually create more, more, more clutter. But also, are. you can't if you have a gap. This gap. This is the problem. I always find that I got rid of about a thousand books last year, and you have to get rid of them on the day. On the day, you go. I'm going to go. I'm not going to read this again. I'm not going to read this again. I have to take this to to the shop now. And if you then have a week in between, you go. Looking back, this was quite an important book in my Great. development. So that's another one that goes into what will eventually be the incinerated museum of Robin Ince. You know, all of those all of those things that I look about around my house and think the moment I'm dead, my wife will just go, well, we might as well just knock the house down. This horrible, wretched, bibliophiles nightmare that he's created. None of it's worth it. The some, you, some of-
3: you've worked out a plan of your your
1: predecease then. <laughs> oh yeah, I oh oh I th- I think it's uh I, I've lived very badly. The paper cuts will get me in the end, Mark. They've been building up. They've been building yeah. up for years.
2: Um, this is oh, where your son li- will take over the mansion,
1: <laughs> like oh. the Acker mansion.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, so-
3: I went there once, you know. Once, you know, I went. I, vis- I I met Forrest Ackerman once uh, in in LA in 1993. I went to the Acker mansion, the famous. Wow place yeah it was quite extraordinary uh did you walk, ha-
2: walk around
3: yeah 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 i mean he had there is there are things in that i mean they've, I, they, they've all been dispersed to the four winds now but there were things in there that, sh- that needed to be in the smithsonian he he had uh he had original willis o'brien armatures from the lost world and kong and things like that and i don't know where they've gone i mean they must have gone somewhere but it was quite extraordinary i mean he's the, like the original fan isn't he and he he showed me he had letters he'd written to to Carl Lemley, in the 30s saying really enjoyed your recent feature The Mummy will there be another you know, things like that you can't actually conceive that there was such a thing but there they were Give
2: me another
1: yeah <laughs> yes
3: we can tell you the mummy's hand is in pre production
1: but <laughs> well, that is your your history of horror show the the, the first three parter I mean that I I kept thinking when I was watching it how. How do you, when you were going to see some of these people, legendary? You know, uh, for us, they they were images that we had had on on the inside books, perhaps the postcards or post things we'd cut out from magazines and put on our wall. And you're now meeting these people, and they they're in the you know 90s. or how did you approach? I mean, th- what, did it was it afterwards that you'd suddenly go, oh my god, this 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 person who was such an an, an influence on on the development of your art you've just met, or are you sitting there all the time thinking, well, I really, if I screw this up, don't screw this up, don't screw this up. I've been waiting for 40 years for this.
3: I'd be a bit of both really. The the strange thing was, I suppose that, that series, which is 10 years old now was just, it was the last, last chat. It was very well-timed, you know, by the time it was transmitted, three of them had died. That's how close it was. And, but, you know, I often think about, um, uh, the wonderful Kevin Brownlow series Hollywood, which if you remember that with James Mason, yeah. it's utterly amazing and it's all on YouTube, apart from one episode, which I think they had to take off for copyright reasons, so it's not you can't have the whole thing, anyway, it's utterly brilliant it's about the development of silent movies and even in 1980 when it was on, I, my jaw dropped, the fact that he was just popping round to interview Ruben Mamoulian, King <laughs> Vidor, <Veedle, laughs> and Gloria Swanson, and it's absolutely inconceivable. So I went to America first time, 1993, and I tried to interview Gloria Stewart because she was in The Old Dark House and The Invisible Man, and the James Whale film called The Kiss Before the Mirror. And she's, I, I spoke to her on the phone, uh, and uh, I, rem- I remember we parked the car outside her house, and there was a little green gate in this wall, and and I'd spoken to her, and I was hoping to sort of sort of doorstep her, I suppose. Eventually she, she consented to speak on the phone, but she said, I'm too old, honey. Nobody wants to see me anymore. All these things. Uh, this was four years before Titanic. And then 20 years later, nearly 20 years later, uh, more than 20 years later, I went through that green door. And actually interviewed her for the series, and I remember that was the moment that I, it really hit me. I thought that was a sense of my own personal history as well yeah. that had, you know, taken all that time. And she was amazing. She was a she was a hundred, wow. and her recall of the thirties and founding the Screen Actors Guild with Boris Karloff—it was incredible. But the funniest part was, bless her, she was amazing. Uh, just just as a sort of courtesy. Um, and I thought, we might as well get this on tape for all time. And I, as we were leaving, effectively, I said, could you just tell us briefly how you got the part in Titanic? And she sort of sat back and closed her eyes and said, Mr. James Cameron, call me. 45 minutes later, we left, we left the house. <laughs> Because she, she had a lot, she had a lot to say about that, and, and, and we were so we were literally packing up. <laughs> we had to sit back down again and get her listen to it. But it was uh, it was a wonderful experience all round. It was meeting those legendary people, and also just you know, I suppose touching on all, all those things. And um, it completely reinvigorated my love of horror movies. Uh, which yeah, as an obs- an obsessed child, I knew so much and everything about. It, it you know I just didn't it had just like all like all kinds of childhood interests it had just sort of faded away. I still went to the pictures to see the odd horror film, but going back, diving back into it, and then re- and then discovering all kinds of of ones I never knew about, or like the Mario Bava films, which, as you say, had only ever we'd only ever really seen apart from the odd one as gigantic colour stills in Alan Frank books, and suddenly. They were, I mean, life-changing those movies because I, I like them an awful lot more than some of my uh, earlier favourites. Really, um, it was uh, it was wonderful.
2: Yeah. Oh, I knew it. I knew Sorry,
1: it. I just had to, to grab it. monsters and Yay. vampires. So I knew that was nearby. The, um, but that is, but that is, I, I, my son. We we made him on New Year's Eve watch the old Dark House, and it stands up brilliantly it is i mean you I, I don't know if it was your first you'd written some doc two novels hadn't you before the james whale book that you wrote yes yes but yeah. but that james whale book which i think is a brilliant book by the way so it's, it's uh, both your book and, and jeremy's uh, jeremy dyson's book on uh, supernatural uh, horror as well
3: oh yeah bright darkness yeah. that's
1: fantastic But that that's an interesting thing where you suddenly return to uh, because I found that it's only in the last 10 years that I've really I started digging around and finding I I was showing you this beforehand. I, I remembered where, you know, House of Hammer. Magazine, which meant so much to me. For those of you who don't know, it was uh it used to have this rather wonderful uh it would it would have uh comic strip adaptations of hammer movies. Love it. And and of course, for I don't know if you had the same thing, Mark, which was I would read those and then wait, and then eventually there'd be a horror double bill. And Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter would be on. And of course, I hadn't realized that the special effects in the comic strip were far better. And the special effects which are possible <laughs> with the low budget of it. I mean, I still like Captain Kronos, but it was going at that as your introduction to horror was such an incredible thing. And I think in the last 10 years I've realized how important it was as well.
3: It's very familiar. Story, a lot of people have that with the time
1: novelizations. If
3: they, they read the book first and then eventually saw the TV version, some it wasn't as good. But that that's the power of uh, of comics and and the printed word, isn't it? The, the strange thing about House of Hammer was. I've I'll, I'll boil this story down but um like you I mean it was the most incredibly exciting thing to find on the in the in Smiths and uh and then I had this very brief period where I was I had my own version of the sort of um of the Hayes Code my parents went to a parents evening and all my all my um sort of essays and stories were horror stories, all of them. And they just, uh, I've still got my school report from Mr. Todd. It said, uh, sweet Todd. Todd, Yes. (laughs) It gave me, uh, I got an A plus. uh, And it said, uh, something like amazing imagination, even if they do resemble scripts for hammer films, I've still got that. (laughs) And my parents came back and they basically banned me from watching horror movies, they had it up and by her- horrific coincidence, that that night it was a Friday night. Parents, teachers, and Revenge of Frankenstein was on a very rare Hammer film, still a rarity, really, and in those days, inconceivably rare. I'd never seen it, and I was sent to bed early, crying, because uh, they banned me. And I remember hearing my parents' door close, and I sort of looked at my watch, and it was about, you know, actually about twenty-five past ten. And my sister was staying up to watch Revenge of Frankenstein. And I just up downstairs and watched it anyway. And that was the end of my back. <laughs> oh, House of Hammer was one of those things. It was so I wasn't allowed and then I was allowed again. But then this weird thing happened. you remember this, Robin, where it, it transformed suddenly into Hammer, the Hammer Halls of Horror. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I couldn't keep track of something weird happened editorially. Uh,
1: and it wasn't the same. I can never. Did we ever get an explanation for what it? It, it became it was, it was House of Hammer, Halls of Hammer. I'll see if I can find. Uh, um, House of Hammer, a, Halls of, of Hammer. Then, then eventually became House of Horror. Yeah, the and that's the wonderful Captain Kronos cover, yeah. Yeah. which actually, by chance, look what's on the back there. There we are.
3: Oh, you see. And, and
1: then after House of Horror, you're right, for the last three Halls. issues, Halls of Horror.
3: But the story with this. They did a brilliant uh, comic strip illustration of Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Uh, and, and there's a Father Shandor spin-off was promised and it never materialised. And I met Des Skin, the original editor of Doctor Who magazine and editor of House of Hammer years ago at a, at a Doctor Who thing. And I said, whatever happened to that Father Shandor spin-off? And he said, oh, it did appear, but it was in somewhere else. And it was like a strange it was literally like we've all got versions of this where you you know there's a question that bugs you when you're 13 like what are the lyrics to this song and then every now and then in your life like hundreds of years later you'll get the answer and you go oh (laughs) And if you could, all you need to do is is give that information to your younger self and it would have meant the world. But now it's just kind of going, oh, I see. (laughs) It was really strange. And I thought a little door had closed on a a a fragment of my childhood because he explained
1: what had happened to the Father Shandor spinoff. Anyway, this means not So, so me you like, don't you don't I meet mean, me, then? Exactly. You. I've got those copies of Warrior magazine. Is that so why in Warrior? It, 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 it was Warrior yes. magazine, which was also where Alan Moore's V for Vendetta began, okay. yes. laser, razor, and press button, and all, all manner of things. If you were, uh, by the way, I feel that the first one of these we did was very broad, and I'm glad we've managed to narrow it down <laughs> like, a bit more niche. Finally,
2: uh, it's it's a joy uh, to see you. issue to- of one particular <laughs> magazine. <laughs> But it was those things.
1: You're right. One of the saddest things, I think, is when you it's like when you have to when you have to remind yourself, sometimes when you're working with someone who when you were 10, you could not have imagined what it would be like, you know, oh, and I sometimes, you know, and I have to kind of just sit and go, don't forget the wonder and the joy of this, of the fact that. 10-year-old me would not have you know when, when I was doing whenever I've done stuff with things like the goodies you know and and uh and I'd go remember 10-year-old you remember somewhere there's a bundle of neurons that are still 10-year-old you and don't let that bit of it die because the, the you find It's most of your neurons, isn't it? Like, like (laughs) that's the truth.
2: I was going to say my problem is that I'm still so there that when I uh, got to interview Michael Palin, most of my questions were just, you're very good,
1: aren't you? (laughs) I remember you telling me about that. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) But the joy of that is, Michael,
3: uh, Michael Palin is the same with me, one of the few people I absolutely went to pieces when I first met. I couldn't quite believe it. And, um, but he tells this brilliant story about, uh, he was, he did a bit in The Magic Christian, that very strange 60s film. And Peter Sellers, of course, was in And he was such an obsessive goon fan. And he was uh, on the set of Pinewood or something. And he saw Sellers approaching and he was, his mind was racing. What am I gonna say? What do I say? To, what on earth do I say to Peter Sellers? What do I say to Peter Sellers? And he sort of came level with him, but he just went, I
1: oh, know Peter.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's all he
2: could manage <laughs>
1: <laughs> but there is a there is a thing is that to some extent to some extent where it is better even though we all want to meet our heroes it is better that they always remain not mm. necessarily i mean i've been lucky that, and and i know joe to you as well with all of us i think we've met people who fortunately again perhaps because we've got niche taste perhaps it's not always really big showbiz taste that they are they 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 you know, you go, this is wonderful, and you delight in it, and it turns out they are what you'd hoped. I think, you know, the higher up sometimes, the really big stars, then the disparity. But that's the problem, isn't it? Which is, once the person becomes a human, you've lost the magic when they are merely the, the cover star of Halls of Horror, or whatever it might be.
3: Yes, I guess so, but it, I mean it's, it's worth it, isn't it? If, unless they're terribly disappointing, which, of course, can happen. Uh, and it actually sort of destroys your... Your childhood love of something because you can't not unsee through a different kind of prism, but mostly you've got most mostly people are lovely and humble and and kind and nice and I met Christopher Lee several times, and that was you know talking about you you know addressing your eight year old neurons that was an extraordinary thing just to 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 contemplate and I found the last the last time I really spent any time with him was um uh, I commissioned a friend of mine to do a, a picture of him. And we had tea in the Cadogan Hotel, where Oscar Wilde was arrested, uh, not on the same day, and uh, <laughs> which was just around the corner from where he lived in Chelsea and uh, um, in, uh, near Sloan Square. And um, uh, he was—it was just amazing to spend that amount of time with him. And he was very—I realised that he was very, um, very grave you know, and very sort of uh, pompous, actually, of course, everyone says that, but he also, he was very silly, he had a very silly sense of humour, you know, all that stuff with Peter Cushing, where they did Sylvester and Tweety Pie together. And I thought, actually, if you approach him as a monolith, he reacts monolithically. And um, we fell into conversation about Sherlock Holmes, oddly enough. And, of course, he famously was the only actor to have played Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes, and, um, And was very proud of that fact. And at that stage, which must have been about 2000 and 2001, um, he was planning to do a a Harry Allen Towers Sherlock Holmes film. Harry Allen Towers was still alive and working, producer of the the Fu Manchu movies. And Malcolm McDowell was going to play Sherlock Holmes. And and Christopher Lee was going to play Moriarty. And... um, so he was going to do the triple, which is absolutely unprecedented. Obviously he loved <laughs> the idea of that. And I said, I said, you'll be playing Mrs. Hudson next. And he said, what? <laughs> and, then he, and then he just turned and just sort of slyly grumbled. He just more fun."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I, I, I treasure that moment because he was like, you know, as I say, I think if people approached him in a particular way, he responded like that. And if you just got got in the right way, you could you could have a really good laugh. He had has fantastic stories. Do you know? Do you know Prince Philip? The man is a bore.
1: boor. B O O R, a boor.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, that's one of the stranger Christopher Lee performances. He played Prince Philip in one of in one of the uh, royal wedding movies that was yeah. made during Royal Wedding Fever. I've never seen it, and I won't be ever seeing it. But what of you know those bizarre things that happened in that kind of that period of his career? I've seen it.
3: Washbourne isn't it? It's the Queen Mother, it's you know those things are just an endless delight if you if you ever think that 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 period where Hollywood got Britain wrong Hmm. or if I've got the rest of the world wrong ended in the 40s just watch one of those there's a there's a there's an amazing one uh, the David Cassidy story weirdly enough starring Mark McDowell as David Cassidy's father but there's a bit he, he, he met this woman in um london on tour in the 70s and eventually they got married they were like they they should have been together and then they weren't but the moment where david cassidy meets this girl in regent's park regent's park malibu (laughs) 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 it's so brilliant they've got an open top red bus which they've obviously hired in and that's about and then there's a sort of you know there's like a there's a gas lamp next to a palm tree (laughs) oh i I absolutely love those things and the fact it still happens is is just breathtaking, I think. You think, you know, people can Google these things now. They they can they can Google what a London street looks like.
1: There was some. Um, did you ever, see Last, did you ever Sedu- see Last Seduction 2? I don't believe I did. It's that's a very stra- it, it's made by Terry Marcel, who directed Hawk the Slayer. Uh, and uh, it was written by, I forget his name of a, a good writer, it was his first job He used to be in Delamitri And he wrote the screenplay for Last Seduction 2 And uh, because they can't afford to go to New York As far as I remember, it's Swansea that doubles as New York of So course, show I mean, it that it's New sense. York They just have a kind of, you know, one of those American mailboxes You know, one of those blue mailboxes And someone rollerblades past it So by watching the mailbox and a rollerblader, You go, well oh, that's New York <laughs> of course it's new york isn't it um we better go and uh we've got uh, another guest susie gage and then we're going to come back and finally do these questions or whether there's going to be hell to pay if we don't do that i could
3: so. just see a third of third edition at
1: this rate <laughs> yeah um so it's susie gage who has been on this before and, and who is a wonderful communicator of scientific ideas and does a great podcast which is now a book called say why to drugs and she's also another uh, huge fan of of horror movies and in particular uh, amongst other things 1970s horror soundtracks by people such as goblin yeah. and uh, so i think we're now going to go over to oh i should also just mention by the way i always do this halfway through an introduction don't forget the tip jar we're collecting money for the arts industry we've really we given it all out now so we've kind of run out and uh so i really hope you enjoy this and if you uh if you uh, afterwards just think oh do you know what there's a quid or whatever uh if, if enough of you do that that means we're able to give more money to uh, another art center and also another artist and that is fantastic and that helps a great deal but now let's go back to uh Susie gage and she uh because uh, she went i can't remember how to play these things but she's taken a break from learning chopin which is what she's been doing uh and now she's going to return i think to a goblin soundtrack So let's go over to Susie Gay
4: everyone. I'm really sorry that I can't be with you today to talk about horror soundtracks, which is basically one of my favourite things to talk about. Um, As many of you, or some of you might know, as well as being an epidemiologist and a researcher and a podcaster and an author, um, I also dabble a bit in music. And when I lived in Bristol, I used to be in a band called Ill Goblini, which was a goblin covers band. Now, goblin are horror soundtrack aficionados. They were in 1970 is Italian band who did the soundtrack to loads of films in particular Dario Argento films like Suspiria, Tenebrae, Profondo Rosso and um, they also did the soundtrack to Dawn of the Dead and their music pops up in quite a lot of other places as well Charlie Brooker's quite a fan they're quite often used in Screen Wipe and things like that and one of their songs was also used in Shaun of the Dead. Um, But the problem with Goblin is that, well, not the problem, but the problem for me trying to play these songs on the piano is that uh, one of the things that's so great about Goblin is that it's really complicated sort of rhythms and melodies kind of interlocking, like the bass interlocks with the synths and the drums and everything kind of fits together. But it's very hard to then get that across on solo piano. But one of my favourite directors is John Carpenter and the music in his films I've always found really, really Awesome, and he does quite a lot of it himself as well. So instead of playing you a goblin song, I'm going to play you a John Carpenter song, and that's from possibly his most famous horror film, Halloween. So enjoy. <laughs>
1: hello welcome back uh so thank you very much susie for doing that susie is uh, uh a huge fan i was so annoyed i was actually not merely did i miss john carpenter live i uh, went playing his soundtracks i actually was even offered twice free tickets and i was doing uh, i can't remember what gig that i i had which was uh, immovable mark did you go and see john carpenter live I didn't i'm afraid no and same thing i mean you just you
3: you miss them don't you and just go oh that that's gone but I, having, you know, having spent some time with the great guy, uh, I, um, I was I think I got I think I've had my my childhood John Carpenter fix. So that was OK. He was a, he was a, he's a dude. That's what he is. He's great.
1: It's interesting. Uh, I, I watched an interview he did recently and I don't think it, he, he was having trouble with the interviewer because yeah. the, inter- the interviewer kept wanting to ask him about what he wanted to make next and all this. Kind of, and he said, I'm done. I'm done mm-hmm. now. I've 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 done it. It doesn't matter, and I don't want to keep talking about my work. I want to talk about other people's work. It was very a lovely kind of gregarious mm-hmm. nature about the excitement of what's being made, and and a not and not a bitter acceptance. So it didn't certainly didn't come across. Just an acceptance of there's a body of work, and I forget in the eighties how you know Starman, christine uh big trouble in little china then off to the you know they live in, and prince of dark he was leaping around in so many different places
2: you know
3: escape escape from new Very york the
1: value of Tom i think
3: i love i love that movie i absolutely love it um yeah i, I said i mean this is again it's 10 years ago i said uh, you know would you ever want to make a western i always thought he'd be making a great western he went oh sure but you know there comes a time you get a Put your feet up and watch some fucking basketball. <laughs> 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 Quite right. Watch swore, I
2: think it's the opposite of bitterness to be engaged in what's new and supportive of what's new. It's that's what
3: someone like Barry Cryer is so brilliant. think that isn't he? Barry, who is you know, I was listening to Radio Four Extra yesterday and I was painting, and uh, uh, there was a, an old edition of. I'm sorry, I've, I've read that again um, from '68, I think. And huh. And, and Barry's lineage goes way, way back, but he's always been so interested in. It, it, of course, if you ask, he'll talk to you about writing gags for Frankie Howard or whatever. Yeah, but and but he's really always interested in what's next, and it, it's an incredibly healthy attitude for anyone to have because you stop you stop being fossilized in your own little moment, and you're thinking what you know what what it's what Olivier did with you know. Olivier's entire world was was sh- was shaken and threatened by the arrival of John Osborne, and then within a couple of years, he asked Osborne to write a play for him, which became The Entertainer. And you think, well, that's the way to do it, isn't it? You mm-hmm. you, you you take it, you you meet it head on, and go, well, what can we do together? What can you offer me? What can you do to save my career? That's that's <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's very much the subtext of it. Yes, yeah, very the much. I'm no, just going to say that Barry Crow is somebody who's always taken the time to get to know new comedians. And so most, you know, most comedians who've done radio stuff will be like, oh, yes, I know him, even yeah. though I'm 30 and he's 80. You know, everyone knows who he is and, and has had a friendly conversation with him where he's taken the time to be interested and. Yeah. no
1: one loves jokes as much as him i love that story he him. said i love when, that story he said when willie rushton and him used to do that show two old farts in the night weirdly enough they were probably <laughs> your yours and my age mark you know, <laughs> and we saw them as old people and they <laughs> um, and yes oh i forgot sorry i forgot that your age. twenty nine. the uh, playing age 24 to <laughs> the um but uh he said one night when he walked off willie rushton went barry you've fallen out of love with the jokes and he said, it was the only night he said, he realized that night he just delivered the jokes. Mm. He was not engaged with the jokes. And I think when you, I, I, I saw Barry doing a show with Colin sell back in, in late January. And he's still that there's a lovely joke. He uh, it's a, it's apparently Walter Mattower. He heard it first from Walter Mattower. Right. And, and, uh, i think it's a beautiful joke and, and he ring people up a friend of mine said oh god i saw barry's number and i thought oh my god i hope he's all right and of course hello just got a new joke and uh but the but walter matter joke is that lovely one about uh, a man and a woman get married and uh and they, they go back to her house for, for, for the first night for the honeymoon night and the next morning he wakes up and he's just feeling wonderful and he walks into a bathroom And he can't believe it. There's a dead horse in the bath. And he goes, oh, my God, darling, there's a dead horse in the bath. And she says, well, I never said I was tidy now that to me just, and I, I i love that there's a great division but let's get sorry some of these questions right we must go through these um and uh so the questions are well this is from owen parker who also went to breton hall um I'm afraid that's all we've got time for and he uh um he also wrote the theme tune for that for this show very kindly as well and he just like to say is it true that royston vasey was based on denby dale the civil parish near breton hall no or i mean
3: it's it's based on all all points north, all kinds of different parts of our respective northern upbringings. Denby Dale would have been a part of that from our Brent Hall experience, but not specific. It's not specific. You can tell it's not it's not anywhere specific. When we when when we won the Golden Rose of Montreux, that's a moment. I tell you what, that that's a moment. That was a moment in nineteen ninety nine. That was because of the goodies winning winning it. There. And I knew the goodies had won it, and so it was an extraordinary thing to, to think that could have been a possibility. But I remember we were, we were flown out to Switzerland, remember those days, and at uh, no notice, it was so exciting. But there was a, a, a sw- the Swedish jurist who had awarded us the prize said that there were a lot of places in Sweden like Royston you know. So everywhere claims it, really. <laughs>
1: That is there was a sad, sad there was mo- a sad moment in uh I did an event with the goodies back in in January, which of course is even 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 sadder now, but there was a thing it was at the slapstick festival, and uh the slapstick they dug up a bit of footage which they knew that bill and tim and and Graham hadn't seen and it was them at at montreux. And it was uh, them looking incredibly flamboyant. And, you know, uh, the, you know Bill, Bill looked exactly as you'd imagine. Bill looked like the, you know, the kind of jazz rock musician. Tim looked wonderful. And, and we showed this bit of footage and it had a terrible effect because rather than them rejoice at seeing themselves in 1975, it brought a terrible air of melancholy. And it was one of those awful moments where, and I said to the organisers, I said, next time, never, never show that. But it was just <laughs> this, and I, and I saw them watch it going, look at us. Look at us. Look yeah, at the passing uh, of time, and of course, that now feels even, you know, kind of stronger. Of course, with 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 uh, the, you know the sad death of, of Tim. Um, uh Lisa wanted to know a, a few weeks ago whether you were going to bid on anything from the Peter Wingard auction. I suppose we should change that now. And did you manage to stay away from that Peter Wingard auction? Uh, I did.
3: Uh, a friend of mine apparently has secured me some cufflinks, <laughs> but it was too. It was too dangerous. Of course it was. I mean, what, you know, talking about trying to sort out stuff in your house, it's like, so we've made, we've got rid of all this stuff, all this junk. Now, here is Peter Wingard's caftan.
2: <laughs> well, I, I do. Tried- happened is that the room you were in last time is now just full of everything <laughs> yeah, and you're i've just moved rooms of, for no wait, reason just pushing me downstairs
3: <laughs> <laughs> no i stayed away I've, I've learned my lesson with those sort of things it, it's it's better in the abstract i think
1: you know. i think you're right my, my, my friend johnny Maines has uh he for his birthday he was bought uh, a picture of some owls that peter, oh, Wing- the- peter wingard had on his uh wall and just one of his boxes of loads of bits of rings you know he had all of these strange jewelry boxes very kind of tatty looking kind of plastic rings but so so those those are now his he can pretend his hands are peter wingard's every now and again but not when he's near gloucester oh, um, I'm <laughs> uh this is um uh, serena was uh ch- what does she know um do how do you feel having written so much horror drama and uncanny shows now that we feel as if we're living in a slightly uncanny world
3: well i think it'll probably change people's i don't know you know I, i've said this i probably said this last time but it, it fascinates me that in uh, the depression uh, well, people wanted Busby Berkeley music, musicals, but they they also wanted Frankenstein. Mm. And uh, the the first horror boom is in the depths of of the worst depression of the 20th century. So who knows? I mean, the 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 downloads of films like Contagion and everything have been enormous. haven't they? So you'd think people would want to go in the absolute opposite direction, but maybe they want a sort of bit of a bit of both. I don't know. I think mm-hmm. there's, there's genuine escapism, and then there's also somehow some kind of mirroring is quite interesting but also supernatural horror is is a different thing we're going through a weird sort of domestic version of, of an apocalypse we always used to road road test i mean i ran in i ran into central london the other day and it was you know apart from daleks it was exactly the way we imagined it it, <laughs> it was trafalgar square it's incredible it's never been i've never seen like that ever christmas morning it's not that quiet so you there's something uncanny about that uh, but whether that's going to be reflected in in art, in drama, I don't I have no idea really. I think I think there'll be it might be a bit like 9-11 in the sense that there'll be some sort of interesting coded responses. There'll be things about people in in contained situations. And then Nicolas Cage will do a movie in five years' time called Lockdown, which is explicitly about
2: <laughs> i was thinking about that how i i don't think i will want to watch thing about somebody who's trapped somewhere ever again i want to watch things about people kind of running and jumping like that outside or like well everyone's
3: saying aren't they that you know they're watching movies and and what their matthew's Speak was saying he was so sort of watching somebody just being distracted by their bookshelves and and then <laughs> and then looking at them going outside and, and being in a crowd, I mean that's the sort it's like the new porn, isn't it? It's sort of
2: <laughs> stereophics. It was footage, like,
3: footage, st- footage of stereophonics gigs but of the audience <laughs> just to see what it used to be like. But it was uh yeah,
1: strange. I've no idea. I have no idea. Um, Nick wanted to. Know, um, Nick wanted to know. He says, due to the League of Gentlemen uh, return and your role in Christmas Doctor Who, you made me cry twice in one evening. What will you do next with such powers? And it is true, you do have a a, a great way with with having those moments in in sometimes whether it's I mean League of Gentlemen have lots of those, but those moments where you suddenly feel so engaged to a character who we've thought of as grotesque, and then that sadness comes through do, do you have you ever had a moment where you you've uh does it remain for you do you sometimes write a moment of melancholy uh or, or of emotion which once it's been made and you sit down and, and you're watching it again that it can actually have an effect on you know like almost like tickling yourself you know the the opposite of that really uh i don't
3: think it's not that conscious i mean you don't sort of say oh this is a melancholy bit right now it's just what how you are isn't that certainly how I am all all, all the stuff I've always responded to Alan Bennett onwards is a sort of you know bittersweet that's what I like in comedy and all my favourite comedies are like that there's amazing moments when you just suddenly realise you really care about Basil and Sybil and their terrible marriage or you know that amazing episode of Steptoe The Desperate Hours with Leonard Rossiter where two prisoners escape to the junkyard and realise they're better off inside and I mean, they're just fabulous, and and I think it's it's a cliche to say, but it's it's the root of all funny things like that. I think, and and also just that, you know, my favorite bit in that Doctor Who, which I was very privileged to be in, Peter's regeneration story. But when when the Doctor says you're you're a clearly a captain from World War One, and he goes on to speak about the details, and then I say, "What do you mean, one?" and he mm-hmm. says, oh spoilers and it's you know beautiful little moments like that and uh, i think that's what i've always cherished in other people's stuff and i certainly like to do my own is i think it it's there's i've said this many times but there's an absolute false um there's a false distinction between funny and uh, comedy and drama uh the the best the best of both always combine the two the best make you cry at norman stanley fletcher and then make you laugh at you know um, succession or something, you know, the, 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 because people are complicated and and life is so mixed up and full of odd, strange moments. You, there's no point in sort of saying it's one or the other because we all know that's not true. It's always, it still annoys me that you know you are almost guaranteed an Oscar for 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 doing something which will make people weep and weep and weep and weep and and almost never for making them laugh. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a ridiculous.
1: Uh, false distinction, I think. Mm. It is. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I find it. I find it. It's interesting. Now, everything I was looking up the other day to watch, they were all called uh, comedy drama. Mm. And, and you go, well, that's what they've always kind yeah, of. <laughs> I, <think laughs> you're right. I mean, Steptoe and Son, that there's every time, I watch that movie every time that I notice it's on, because I think it's probably one of the best of the sitcom adaptations, partly because it comes from one of the best sitcoms, obviously. Mm. But the point in which you realize that he's never going to have happiness that his father, he's always going to be trapped with his father. There's a 10 minute sequence after his marriage, which is there's no laughs. And it is, it's, it, I still find it 30 years since I first it agony mm-hmm. to realize that he will one day be in that house on his own, having found no one because of this trap of, of, of the love and the need for between father and, and son. It's it's a Well r- Goldman Gold Simpson had idea it.
3: when, when Wilfred Bramble left uh uh to, to do a play on Broadway and he sort of and they I think I think I'm right in saying this was when they did the seventies revival, you know, whatever happened to Step, and Son, essentially. And it was doing very well, but Wilfred Bramble said, I don't want to do it anymore, I'm going to Broadway. And they had this plan to to, uh, to do, he dies, Wilfred Bramble dies, Albert dies, and Harold is finally free, and then this this kid turns up on his doorstep, and it's his illegitimate child, and it all happens again, except now, of course, it's it's on son, and then Wilfred Bramble's play tanked, and he just came back, and that was the end of that. Well, I mean, that's a great idea, is that he, he just breaks the cycle, and then suddenly, oh no, <laughs> I'm it. Oh, yeah, wonderful stuff. One of my favourite ones is that, it's an episode called The Star is Born about amateur dramatics. Harold joins the amateur dramatics. I think it's the one with Joanna Lumley in it. And they have a rehearsal round at the house. And, um, uh, and then someone doesn't turn up. And so his dad has to step in. And of course, he's absolutely brilliant. Everyone lionises him. And Harold is totally ignored. And when they do the actual production, he's the, he's the star of the show. And Harold just leaves quietly uh as uh, I think he throws a bottle of whiskey through the window or something like that. And um, this little boy runs up to him for his autograph and says, are you an actor? He says, no, son, I'm a rag and bow man. End.
1: Oh, man.
2: <laughs> it's
1: like Beckett. <laughs> well there is there's, a, a, wonder, there's a, a wonderful book uh by harry corbett's uh daughter all about his, his life which i would highly recommend and and it's so interesting when you find out that he was seen as this kind of uh, you know theatrically a marlon brando figure when he worked with uh, yeah. with joan littlewood joan, at, at, yeah. and and I've, I've read quite a few people uh who howard gurney and people like that who work there, who who say once harry corbett left it never that was it his being part of Joan littlewood's very important theater that he he was just an incredible powerhouse she still made great work but he was he was remarkable oh, um the uh this is uh sorry this is um oh we've had how would you what about an update of sexton blake no great i like him when they're quick because it means we get all the, do you think is um, hot sorry
2: oh no 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 you go first if you want and i'll ask after
1: No, I was going to say, uh, that that was from uh, uh, Neil. Uh, Mac would like to know, do you think 80s horror films nearly killed the genre? Uh, No, they took it somewhere else. I mean, the reason that we
3: we stopped that original documentary uh, with Halloween is obviously you have to stop somewhere. And also it was was such a great film. It was a kind of game changer. I mean, the thing is what happened in the 80s really is the slasher genre sort of became predominant, didn't it, this... And it's—I mean—it's not like there aren't other interesting films being made. It's just a sort of something happened there, which, which took it somewhere else. I don't think. No, I mean it's like any—it's like music, isn't it? You know, there are period, follow periods, and then something interesting will happen slightly over in the corner, and then the whole thing kind of eats itself, and then some little new green shoot springs up, like the economy, perhaps. Uh, but no, I don't think so. I mean, there's lots to enjoy. It's just—I mean, I have to say—I sound like a terrible old. Fossil. Um, like this one, which I was going to show and tell the other time. Oh uh, that's the third one. But um uh I I, I don't like a lot of eighties movies. I mean predominantly I don't like the eighties as a as a decade.
2: What about King? Are you a Stephen King fan at all? Yes, I
3: love Stephen King, although the movies are pretty uh, not very good generally. But I love the the books, but it was. It's a strange decade, I think, for the the the, the big movies, the big movies like Spielberg movies and things are, are absolutely untouchable. But an awful lot of the other stuff, um, it does nothing for me. I find it really. It left me cold at the time, and and it does now. I just I don't have any fondness for those kind of uh, those sort of Breakfast Club type movies. They just don't do oh. it. They just don't.
1: Yeah, my, my, my wife wanted to watch it the other day, and we started watching it, and I hate it. I hate it because the message is goths wear a nice white top and wash your hair a bit more, which I think is a very negative. Um, but within 20 minutes, we managed to stop. Because uh, it's just not a nice... I, I've never understood that. Or Soul Boy, or Mannequin, or... <laughs> oh man. I,
2: I feel about this the is Spice Girls.
1: Ah, uh,
3: you see, I've, you've shifted a decade now. <laughs> I'll
2: never... You know, of course, but yeah, of course, because I'm... You'll never get I, it.
3: No, no, no. I'm I'll sure. never. But, I, I mean, would... p- partly that's that's just the inevitability. You know, I remember I remember talk, talking to someone about Thundercats once, and they were just slavishly in love with it. And I was like, "How can you think that's any good?" And I think, well, that's because you know they're ten years younger than me. That's yeah. it's about that, isn't You're it? You're
2: a child. Yeah,
3: and so you you have all those those lovely nostalgic associations with stuff like that. It doesn't really matter whether it's any good sometimes. But what's what's interesting with the with an adult eye is if you can look back and think, actually, that's rather good. Mm. And a lot of those films, I think, just don't hold up. Ghostbusters is awful. (laughs) (laughs) It's an awful film. It's a clumsy. I just, I I couldn't believe it when I saw that again. I thought, wow, I thought that was quite something. You know, there are obviously other great movies, but there's a lot of stuff like that where you, you, it's really quite a shock. And they, they, they don't stand up
1: as pieces of movie making the way that other stuff does. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I was always more well, I was always more gremlins than ghostbusters gremlins is amazing oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I think that also cool.
2: I will defend gremlins too I think gremlins too yeah. is funny and unusual and full of ideas
3: oh it's great cath- catheter. Oh. it's a it's a late Christopher Lee performance and of course it's it's Trump as well isn't it it's Clamp. it's yep, clamp yeah. towers and everything I mean they they saw it all coming <laughs> we run out
2: of time genuinely a bit frightening to think that back to the future 2 is all based on a sinister universe where donald trump is in power gremlins 2 i mean like we're living in a sequel at the moment yeah. bad sequel. Well, the,
3: the thing that nostradamus never gotten on to was what, what what we should actually be looking at is the simpsons which seems to <laughs> the present doesn't it there. About, let's go back and have a look at the Simpsons to see what they're uh, what they're saying about next week.
2: Um, so, I'm going to ask you uh, another question bef- or two before we go. Um, Deborah has asked if you were to write a new Lucifer box book, which era do you think would be fun to set it in? Um,
3: I think because I did it was you know specifically Edwardian, the 20s, and then the 50s. There's a sort of gap. There's a gap in the war, probably sort of. 39, 45, something like that would be quite nice. I think it's unlikely,
2: though. It's Thanks shame. for asking. Olympia wants to know, did you have any inspirations you drew on for your interpretation of Harold in Boys in the Band, which they loved?
3: Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, actually, I mean, it's it's very hard to, uh, to dislodge uh, Leonard... Um, uh, than Frey, uh, from the original, but it, I suppose it, it certainly in terms of the look, it was uh, it was Vincent Price's butch in uh, in <laughs> the <laughs> theater the gay hairdresser, dishy, dishy hair that that was definitely in there, I suppose. Yes, <laughs> you're gonna draw from where you can, yeah, that's never left me that since I first saw it. That image of Coral Brown being electrocuted by Vincent Price with a bubble perm, that was quite something.
1: <laughs> I, th- I think that and the death that and the death of meredith meredew are my two uh meredith meredew this is your dish yeah. um Should they just do that show it's a great idea yeah but we, 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 without the dog murder no, no, with, the, with the poodles yeah yeah <laughs> uh, uh, um thank you so much for joining us again <laughs> at the same time five weeks yeah yeah probably who
3: um, knows sorry, <laughs> we, sorry mark <laughs> where well, we'll be by then will we still be here Oh gosh! What's our backdrop going to be?
2: Be in a I basement w- this time. Yes, this time, Just, I'm in. I'm in the shelter.
3: Well, you see, this is absolutely true. Last thing to say, our house does actually have a secret passage. What? Uh, yeah, it's it's we've it. there's a cellar which was filled in in 1970, and underneath that is a doorway to a passage. This is what the old lady we bought it from told us, and we planned to dig out the cellar and reveal the passage. We've never done it. But who knows now? Lockdown. have had
2: five revealed. weeks!
3: We've had five weeks to dig out the cellar manually. <laughs> I'll
2: tell you something. There's a man I'm, I'm becoming really, really interested in watching on YouTube, and his name is Mr. Tway Sin. And I think he's sort of... He could even be 60. He, he lives in Thailand. He's incredibly fit. What he does is he creates these things with a hoe. He goes out into sort of scrubland near where he lives and he hoes out an underground chamber and creates these things. And the videos are called things like 60 Days to Create Millionaire Swimming Pool Underground Beach House. And then <laughs> he just whacks it out the ground, digs it out, digs a pool, goes to a nearby oh, I've restaurant I've seen that. It's amazing. Yes.
3: Yeah. You could, you could
2: be doing You could be yeah. doing sixty days underground, underpool swimming, <laughs> underground. Just
1: Give me five weeks. <laughs> or oh, that episode of the Goodies, where they're eventually found, where they've they've been trapped in their in their yes. little. It's going to it be one one or the other thank you very much everyone for watching Pleasure. me back tomorrow with uh dr carl and uh, martin rousson is also going to join us uh, the brilliant uh illustrator and, and cartoonist mark thank you so much and uh it's it's we, we've got still got five pages of questions so we'll do that in five <laughs> weeks and uh don't forget oh we've also got music from femi tomorrow as well and uh i'll just say again we've got the tip jar at the bottom if you are able to give uh, a pound or you can also there's other ways that you can, you can uh contribute we are distributing that money amongst the kind of arts community and uh, to art centers and other things and uh, that will help a great deal bye josie bye mark bye. thank bye. you so thank much You'll i hope care. this
2: week is better for everyone yeah
0: Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget CosmicShambles.com slash stay at home to catch up on all the previous episodes, find out who's coming up on upcoming episodes and to leave a tip for acts and artists and venues who are hit hardest at the moment. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles.